Welcome to this weekly audio digest session of the National, from Monday the 6th to Friday the 10th of May 2019, read by volunteers at Clean Review and Speaking to the Blind at our studios in the Fisher Price Media Centre. The headlines in part one. Scotch Whiskey successfully granted legal protection in South Korea. Tony Blair says NDRF2 could fundamentally damage UK. Devolution has made independence more likely, say half of Scots. Davidson accused of rewriting history after dodging S fair equation. Scots teenagers to make history at UN. Custody deaths also come under spotlight after Bayou case. We have to be able to put ourselves in the shoes of those worried about independence. Mayhew family thanks his fans. Labour have not learned lessons of 2014. Blackford. Brexit midwife Corbyn will pay price for a Tory deal. BBC back to old ways on appearance numbers for the SNP. More Lib Dems than SNP on key shows in April despite 24 fewer seats. My manifesto as a speaker at the absurd and farcical Palace of Westminster. Come fly with me. Why the climate crisis shouldn't put an end to aviation. Service sends terrible message to world. Downing Street secretly polling Scots voters on independence. Tories tell me, we don't want you. PM doesn't even mention results during Scottish speech. Letters. Davidson's Section 30 stance has changed completely. BBC Sack 5 Live DJ Danny Baker following Royal Baby Tweets. Charges dropped against Extinction Rebellion activists. Oil Club Diner protest. Edinburgh Tattoo performers make landmark visit to China. Brexiteer Tory says party risks political oblivion as Corbyn talks resume. HMRC bosses admit that they fought 45 MSPs were not in Scotland. RBS could be set to face raft of equal pay claims. The National News, recorded on the 8th of May, 2019. Scotch Whiskey successfully granted legal protection in South Korea. From the National News Desk. Scotch Whiskey is now legally protected in South Korea after the country granted the drink intellectual property rights. The Scotch Whiskey Association, SWA, successfully applied to register Scotch Whiskey as a certification mark, having already gained the status in more than 100 markets worldwide. The certification means the industry will be protected in the East Asian nation, which is currently dealt with through the EU-South Korean Free Trade Agreement. British Ambassador to South Korea, Simon Smith, said, Scotland's national drink has long enjoyed widespread popularity in South Korea. This enhanced legal protection will give consumers continued assurance that the Scotch whiskey they buy is the genuine article. Lindsay Lowe SWA Legal Deputy Director said the industry takes the legal protection of Scotch whisky very seriously. Only through robust and consistent action can consumers be assured that the Scotch whisky they enjoy is the genuine article each and every time. By securing a certifications trademark in South Korea, the SWA has ensured continued legal protection for Scotch whisky post-Brexit. This is just the latest legal success, which shows the SWA will continue to set up legal frameworks that enable us to take action to stop the sale of fake and counterfeit products that unfairly take advantage of the quality and reputation of Scotch whisky. From the National News Desk. The National News. Recorded on the 8th of May, 2019. Tony Blair says NDRF2 could fundamentally damage UK. From the National News Desk. 
Former Prime Minister Tony Blair has spoken out against the prospect of a second Scottish independence referendum, insisting such a vote should not take place unless there is a really big groundswell of opinion for it. The one-time Labour leader, whose government created the Scottish Parliament, voiced his fears that a fresh vote on independence could fundamentally damage the UK. Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has already made clear her desire to hold a ballot within the next two years. The SNP leader cites Scotland being removed from the European Union against the wishes of voters north of the border as grounds for another referendum, arguing this is a material change in circumstances from the 2014 vote. But Blair told the National's sister paper, The Herald, I don't think we should have one unless there is really a big groundswell of opinion for it, and I don't see that. To be brutally frank about it, the last thing we need at this moment is another huge dose of constitutional uncertainty. We really would start to damage ourselves fundamentally as a country. Blair spoke out in an interview to mark the 20th anniversary of the first Holyrood elections in 1999. The Parliament came into being after Scots voted for the devolved Assembly in a referendum in September 1997, four months after he was voted in as PM, following a landslide Labour victory. In the interview, he stressed he still wanted Scotland to be part of the UK, saying people should be in no doubt about that. But he conceded that Brexit was seen by independent supporters as another reason for Scotland to break away from the rest of the UK. If you're a nationalist, it gives you an additional argument, which is another very good reason, by the way, for not doing Brexit, Blair argued. From the National News Desk The National, Monday, May 6, 2019 Politics. Devolution has made independence more likely, say half of Scots. This article is by Kirstine Patterson. Half of Scottish adults agree devolution has made independence more likely, according to a new poll. More than one third expect constitutional change within five to ten years, while a quarter say it could be complete within decades. The findings come from a new polling carried out by Panelbase for the Sunday Times. More than a a thousand people were asked about their views on Scottish Parliament's impact on politics and society and research commissioned to mark the 20th anniversary of the first Holyrood elections today. SNP MSP Bruce Crawford said, In 20 years since devolution, the Scottish Parliament has made great progress on a number of issues. The ability to take positive decisions to improve the lives of the people in Scotland and a parliament which is accessible and ready to listen has made our country a better place. While we've managed to take better decisions in devolved areas, the status quo of Westminster's system has failed Scotland and led the disastrous consequences like Brexit. Any pretense Scotland will be treated as an equal partner in the UK has been long gone. It is now clearer than ever why it is time to complete our journey towards independence at a time when Labour and the Tories are failing to stand up for devolution, Scotland must have the right to make our own decisions. Half of those questioned said devolution has increased the likelihood of Scottish independence and 44% agreed Holyrood has given the public more say in how the country is run. More than 40% said it has also given Scotland a stronger voice in the UK. And while opinion was split on whether to go it alone, 39% on both sides, a total of 34% of those questions said they expect this to happen within 5 to 10 years. 
A slightly lower 29% told pollsters they do not expect independence within the next few decades, but 17% said it will happen in 10 to 15 or 15 years. And 8% said it likely happen, but will take 20 to 30 years. A total of 46% of people said the health service has improved thanks to Hollywood, while 23% said it has gotten worse, and 32% said did not believe it it has made much of a difference. On education, 34% said devolution has made a positive impact compared with 30% who said the opposite and 36% who said it had made little difference. And on the economy, 35 said the shifting power from Westminster has benefited the country's fortunes but 23% said stated it has made things worse. Another 42% st- said it has had minimal impact. Meanwhile, further Sunday Times polling found just one in seven Scots support the establishment of a new currency in an independent Scotland. A total of 37% of respondents would rather keep the sterling in a formal currency union with the rest of the UK compared with just 14% in favour of a new alternative. Another 8% said the independent Scotland should use the euro. The findings come after delegates at the recent SNP conference in Edinburgh voted in favour of setting up a Scottish currency as soon as practical after a yes vote. This article is by Kirstine Patterson. The National Monday, May 6, 2019 Politics Davison accused of rewriting history after dodging S30 question. This article is by Laura Webster. The SNP have accused Ruth Davison of rewriting history after she dodged a question about whether she believes the UK government should agree to a second Scottish independence referendum. During an appearance on the Andrew Marshall yesterday, the Scottish Tory leader was asked whether it would be right for Westminster to block NDRF2. Her reply was that Nicola Sturgeon had failed to ask for the powers to be granted to Holyrood to hold a referendum. Davison faced criticism last week after a BBC Scotland interview in which it emerged she had backtracked on her Section 30 stance in 2016. Davison said that the UK government should not stand in the way of a second referendum. However, last week she said Theresa May should refuse a Section 30 order as should the next Prime Minister. We know from the devolved settlement that issues of this constitution are reserved to Westminster that's plainly a fact, she told Marr. After the last independence referendum, we had a big, broad discussion about what power should lie where, and SNP didn't even ask for the power to be devolved, so this is a new wheeze from Nicholas Sturgeon that comes up every year with a different reason for what she wants to do. Following the result of the Brexit vote, the MSP had told BBC Sunday Scot- Politics Scotland that while she thought a rerun of the referendum would be incredibly premature, she did not believe it should be completely denied as she is a Democrat. But on Monday last week, when Brian Taylor asked if a Section 30 order should be granted, Davison replied, I'll say no, and this Prime Minister and next Prime Minister should say so too. A spokesperson for the SNP said, Ruth Davison is guilty of the most appalling double standards, having previously said that the UK government shouldn't block an independence referendum. Denying a no vote was based on 
the promise of staying in the EU, just like David Mundell, he is attempting to rewrite history. Miss Davison is running scared of an independence referendum, but she knows her party cannot and definitely stand in the way of democracy. The hypocrisy of the Tories in Scotland hasn't been lost on voters, as we've seen in recent polls. It's clearer than ever that the Tories are ready to sell out Scotland. In yesterday's interview with Marr, Davison also rejected suggestions that Scottish Tories could break away from the UK party. Writing in the Sunday Times, former Tory chairman Peter Duncan suggested that if Boris Johnson become the next Prime Minister, it could create an existential crisis for the party in Scotland. He claimed that if Johnson wins the upcoming leadership election, it could open up a chasm of epic proportions. But on the programme yesterday, Davison said that revisiting a proposal put forward in 2011 by Murdo Fraser that the party could break away from the UK party is not something she would ever back. It's within the gift of the party, but it's nothing that I've ever supported, the Scottish Tory leader said. This article is by Laura Webster. The National, Monday the 6th of May 2019. News, Scots teenagers to make history at UN. Custody deaths also come under spotlight after Bayou case. This article is by Nan Spoet. Two young Scots will make history today when they address the UN over concerns about Scotland's record in upholding the United Nations Convention Against Torture. Human rights defenders Katrina Lambert and E.J. Carroll, both 18, are the youngest ever to address the UN's Committee Against Torture in Geneva, UNCAT. The evidence session will inform the committee as it prepares to examine the UK government tomorrow over where the UK and developed governments currently fail to meet international human rights obligations. Focus on Scotland will include the committee hearing about the age of criminal responsibility, the use of restraint and seclusion in schools, physical punishment of children and the use of so-called mosquito anti-loitering devices. The committee will also hear calls for action to tackle concerns over the treatment of people with mental illness and in care homes, understaffing and overcrowding in prisons, and failures in investigating deaths in custody. This follows the high-profile case of Sheikh Kubayu, who died after being arrested by police in Kirkcaldy. A report by the Scottish Human Rights Commission, SHRC, to be considered by the UN today, also raises concern about the length of time it takes for fatal accident inquiries, FAIs, to be held into deaths in prisons. A Freedom of Information request in 2019 revealed there are 127 outstanding prison FAIs with a significant number of deaths still awaiting determination. The longest waiting time is eight years. Criticisms are also made of the fact that there are no mandatory investigations for deaths in mental health settings in Scotland. The Commission says every death of a patient being treated for mental illness should be subject to an investigation in line with human rights standards. Judith Robertson, chair of the SHRC, said we all have the human right to be free from cruel and degrading treatment 
whether that's in care homes or hospitals, when we use mental health services or if we come into contact with the criminal justice system. As a country, we have signed up to these standards, but are failing to meet all of them. The Scottish Government must take action to address the concerns we have set out in our report to the UN. Lambert and Carroll said they were pleased to have a role. Having young people at the heart of the UN is absolutely crucial, Lambert said. We're so excited to have this opportunity, but we want it to be the norm for children and young people to be included here. A Scottish Government spokesman said human rights has been one of the undoubted successes of devolution. The Scotland Act and the Human Rights Act, taken together, transformed the context in which human rights issues are considered and decided in Scotland. In raising the age of criminal responsibility to 12, we are leading the way in the UK and in international terms. Scotland already has a leading progressive approach to justice issues for young people. We are delighted that two young people from Scotland will give evidence to the committee. We agree their views should be taken seriously at the highest levels. That is why we made sure to listen to the views of hundreds of children and young people on our proposals to raise the age of criminal responsibility. This article is by Nan Spowett. The National, Monday, May the 6th, 2019. Opinion. We have to be able to put ourselves in the shoes of those worried about independence. This article is by Carolyn Leckie. Make it stop. Enclave. Farcanal. Moviso. Sleazy Nazi Party. Damien Thirsty. Highland Hero. Injun Johnny. If you don't read the Scotsman, or more particularly the reader's comments, you're probably scratching your head right now. These are just some of the names who have posted in response to an article I've just read about some of the successes of the Scottish Parliament over the past 20 years. I quote verbatim from some of the comments. Immediately close it down. Shut down Holyrood. Wasteful and destructive. Close down the Poundland Parliament. Flatten it. The shortbread senate. Enough is enough. Shut it down. It's a total failure and should be shut down. And close it down before it can inflict any further damage on Scotland. Could Damien Thirsty, Sleazy Nazi Party, Injun Johnny and the rest all be the same person by any chance? Is fire hot? Is ice cold? Is rain wet? Never mind shut down Holyrood. If I was the Scotsman editor, I'd shut down the reader's comment section pronto because it really is an embarrassment. The newspaper, to be fair, has improved since 2014, but its reader's comment section looks like it's been taken over at lock, stock and barrel by some sad, deluded and cowardly little keyboard warrior using multiple identities who gets his kicks from seeing his words appear daily on a mainstream newspaper website over and over again. Maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe there's two of them. Whatever. The Scotsman comments are an extreme example but do underline the fictional character of much online activity. Who needs Russian bots when one or two individuals who have heaps of time on their hands can conjure up phantom armies from the privacy of their own home?
The comments I've quoted are all harmless, even if they are infantile and about as representative of Scotland as the man on the moon. Other days, their comments are nasty and offensive. But one thing we can learn from the cyber unionists is how not to conduct ourselves online. People who behave like obnoxious little schoolboys showing off to their friends are never going to win the battle for Scotland's future. This weekend, three prominent SNP figures lashed out at the online behaviour of some on the pro-independence side, the so-called cybernats. It's a drum many of us have been banging on for years, and I don't disagree with Alan Smith, Angus Robertson and Stuart MacDonald. But I detect a growing maturity on the yes side. My impression is that the arguments for independence are being presented as strongly and forcefully as ever, but with more discipline and self-restraint than in the past. Independence activists tend these days not to rise to the bait and explode with anger to blatant provocations. More often than not, we either ignore them or dismiss them lightly, sometimes with a bit of wit and sarcasm thrown in on the side can't stop people on either side expressing their feelings strongly. Politics is not a polite dinner party where everyone errs on the side of blandness for fear of causing offence. People who drive change in society are driven by passion. Extinction Rebellion has achieved more in the past month through no-holds-barred direct action than it could have achieved in a year of writing letters to The Guardian or collecting signatures on a petition to send to the government. When centralist politicians, Change UK, the Lib Dems, New Labourites and Tory moderates talk about healing divisions, they invariably mean that the rest of us should lie down and accept the status quo. This weekend, even Ruth Davidson jumped on the bandwagon by promising to bring Scotland back together after a decade of division. All we need to do is accept Brexit, forget about independence and swallow economic inequality and we'll all live happily ever after. So how and where do we draw the line? Most readers of The National, I'm sure, would want to see an end to online bullying, trolling, harassment and intimidation. Not just because it causes offence and distress, but because it's counterproductive. We need a battle of big ideas, not a series of petty squabbles in which we trade childish insults with one another. Such behaviour might make some of us feel better, but it's a monumental turn-off for millions of non-activists, the very people we need to inspire. But it's not easy. Last month, my local independence group held a workshop exploring how we might persuade people who are not convinced of our cause. It was run by Jamie Johnsey, a local writer and counsellor and grandson of Robert Cunningham Graham, who helped found both the Independent Labour Party and the National Party of Scotland. Part of it involved role-playing sessions with one person on the yes side, given the task of listening to and empathising with someone not convinced by the case for independence. Most people found it extremely hard-going. Within a few minutes, each group had abandoned the attempt to listen actively and reflect back empathetically and had resorted to arguing the facts. Jamie wrote in his blog a few kind words. It seemed that it was just too difficult for people to set aside their own positions and really hear the opposing one. 
On feeling threatened, however, irrationally or subconsciously, the act of empathy appeared to become almost impossible. The impulse to fight back took over. And the same problems would arise whether we had been discussing Brexit, wealth redistribution, Trident, or any major political issue of our times. How do we suspend those views that we believe define us, that shape our identities in order that we can begin to engage in real dialogue with those of opposite persuasions, asked Jamie. It's a pressing question for anyone who is seeking to shift public opinion. Our experience showed that without being able to put ourselves in the shoes of people who are worried about independence, we'll never be able to move on from the listening bit and get to the persuading bit. Not if we want the persuading bit to be effective. I know there are many people desperate to hear the start gun for a second independence referendum, but I feel we have a lot of work to do before we're ready to move into campaign mode. And improving our collective communication skills has got to be a priority. Let's be the change we want to see. This article is by Carolyn Leckie. The Sunday National Sunday, the 5th of the 5th, 2019 News Mayhew family thanks his fans This article is unattributed The family of Chewbacca actor Peter Mayhew has thanked fans for their tributes as devotees of Star Wars franchise gathered around the world for the annual May the 4th celebrations the family said reading posts online and seeing many years worth of photos taken by members of the public had helped them deal with their loss. Mayhew, best known for playing the famous Wookiee, died on April 30th at his Texas home at the age of 74. A message posted to the actor's Twitter account said, May the 4th is a tribute to the scale of Star Wars reach and as we process losing Peter, we have been reading all your posts, hearing your stories and seeing decades worth of fan photos from the bottom of our hearts. We wanted to say thank you. Star Wars events are held around the world on May the 4th. Due to the date sounding like the film's famous phrase, May the Force be with you. Co-stars Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill were amongst those who paid tribute to Mayhew, who was 7 feet 3 inches and appeared in 5 Star Wars films. This article is unattributed. The Sunday National Sunday, the 5th of the 5th, 2019 Politics Labour have not learned lessons of 2014 Blackford Brexit midwife Corbyn will pay price for a Tory deal. This article is by Jamie Brodelson. SNP Westminster leader Ian Blackford has issued a final appeal to Jeremy Corbyn to remember the lessons of 2014 and abandon his plans to do a deal with Theresa May on Brexit. Speaking exclusively to the Sunday National, Blackford demanded that Corbyn must defend the prospects of young people and the economy as a result of leaving the EU and slammed the Labour leader for failing to make the simple choice to refuse doing a deal with the Tories. Corbyn has to accept his responsibility. He said, Jeremy had a very simple choice to make. He could have stood up for those who wanted to see those rights protected and wanted action on jobs, workers' rights 
and the environment. Instead, he has paid a price. With Labour suffering heavy losses in the English local elections, both Corbyn and John McDonnell made clear that the party's leadership focus was on delivering Brexit rather than stopping it. However, Blackford went on to raise the case of Labour's catastrophic downfall in Scotland after the 2015 general election as a result of their decision to share platforms with the Tories during the referendum campaign of 2014. That they see it as their duty to do a deal with the Tories really does beg the question, have they learned nothing of the experience in Scotland with the better together when they were close to being wiped out the GE in 2015? Suggesting that Corbyn's tactics were symbolic of Labour being out of step with their voters and membership, and certainly out of step with the public opinion in Scotland, Blackford went on to warn that the people in Scotland will make their own judgement of a Labour Party that ducks and dives in this moment of crisis. Corbyn must not become midwife of Brexit, he added. The circumstances which could see Corbyn work with May on Brexit, according to Blackford, should not have come about in the first place. He needs to recognise that the politics is about leadership. We should not be in a situation where he is digging Theresa May out of a problem. Labour must must not be complicit in helping her find a way out, he said. And on the SNP's tact amid the chaos, Blackford maintains that the party will continue to push to avoid Brexit, but only has one main aim at Westminster. To use the old quote from Winnie Ewing, we have come here not to settle down, but to settle up for the people of Scotland, he said. Of course, you have to work with the other parties. We have done that around the Brexit issue, but our aim is to demonstrate to the people of Scotland that Westminster doesn't work for us. Scotland is disrespected. It is important that we continue to highlight that. Now is the time for Scotland to be an independent country and a destination in Europe. Finally, Blackford commended those who took on the streets for the mass independence march in Glasgow yesterday. I applaud everybody marching today demonstrating the demand for Scottish independence. He said, we need to reach its consensus and it's about all our futures. This article is by Jamie Burleson. The Sunday National. Sunday the 5th of May 2019. News. BBC back to old ways on appearance numbers for the SNP. More Lib Dems than SNP on key shows in April despite 24 fewer seats. This is an exclusive article by Stuart Ward. The SNP appeared on BBC political shows fewer times in April than the Lib Dems and only as many times as both Change UK and the Greens, Sunday National Research has revealed. The SNP deputy leader, Keith Brown, said it was evidence the broadcaster had fallen back into its bad old ways after a more representative showing in March. Across Victoria Derbyshire, Andrew Marr, Newsnight, Politics Live and Question Time, politicians from his party appeared only seven times. Despite having only 11 MPs to the SNP's 35, the Lib Dems scored eight appearances. The Greens with one MP and Change UK with 11 MPs were both given seven slots on the flagship BBC political shows. Brown said the BBC has slipped back into its bad old ways. 
After an improvement in March, SNP appearances in April on these programmes have fallen away again. Referring to Ofcom's criticism last week of the BBC for a 27 interview with Alex Salmond over Andrew Neil's presentation of education statistics in Scotland, he added, This latest research comes in the week where one of the BBC's flagship political presenters has been found guilty of misleading viewers with made-up claims about the SNP government. And quite why the Lib Dems are ahead of the SNP in appearances in April on these programmes is bizarre. We are, after all, the third largest party at Westminster and the second largest party in the UK in terms of membership. The UK are in an election period. BBC bosses need to get a grip. The way it's going, the BBC is eroding yet further trust it has with viewers in Scotland. Asked to explain the appearance figures, a BBC spokesperson said, We are committed to providing fair representation for all parties across our political programming, which includes radio, TV and online, and not just the small selection of TV programmes highlighted here. The broadcaster also cited the local elections, which were held on May 2nd as part of the reason for the disparity and pointed to its BBC Parliament coverage of the SNP's conference. The Tories topped the BBC's monthly totals for April with 72 slots. Labour came in second with 48. UKIP politicians had three appearances across the shows. DUP won and the Brexit Party won. Pride Cymru, the Welsh pro-independence party which has four MPs, did not have a single appearance. Across March, the SNP had been on the BBC's major political shows a total of 15 times. Change UK, then the independent group, had 11 slots and the Lib Dems 5. At the time, Brown said it had shown the BBC was rumbled with the rise in its appearances coming after The National reported that one of 66 politicians invited on Newsnight in February was from the SNP. There were 271 guest slots in total in April, with 121 of the slots going to guests who were not representatives of a political party. The Lib Dems had more appearances than the SNP on Victoria Derbyshire, Question Time and Andrew Marr, with only Newsnight featuring more politicians from the latter. The BBC also faced criticism last month for its coverage of the First Minister's speech, setting out plans to move forward with legislation to hold a second independence referendum. Its new channel, BBC Scotland, aired the Snooker World Championships rather than the speech, despite that competition also being broadcast on BBC Two. Parts of Nicola Sturgeon's Holyrood Address were aired later on Politics Scotland, which interrupted the snooker an hour after she began speaking, but significantly cut it down. This was an exclusive article by Stuart Ward. The Sunday National, Sunday the 5th of May 2019. Opinion. My manifesto as a speaker at the absurd and farcical Palace of Westminster. This article is by Pete Wishart. I've been really flattered by the interest in my announcement to stand for Speaker of the Commons. I only hope it doesn't come as a crushing blow to Sunday National readers that Ladbrokes has given me the rather cruel odds of 50 to 1. Nonetheless, even long shots can come in. 
so I have crafted a manifesto with several key reforms to bring Westminster into the 21st century. Mainly, they are designed to demonstrate the farcical and absurd way that Westminster operates and to contrast with how things are done at Holyrood. I have no idea when a contest will be called, but the Westminster expectation is that it is imminent. That means that SNP MPs participate in choosing the next speaker and that choice should not be restricted to Tory or Labour candidates. I will offer an entirely different option to fundamentally question the ways of Westminster. It should come as no surprise that number one of my top ten proposals is to introduce electronic voting. I have probably spent several weeks of my life just voting in the House of Commons and wasting time in cramped, packed and at times dangerous division lobbies. The way we vote is more reminiscent of a medieval assembly. Worse than that, because time taken up with this nonsense, several key decisions may not be considered. The other issue that I know irks many people is that SNP MPs contribute at the end of debates with speaking time curtailed. This is because MPs are called to speak based on seniority and a crude arithmetical assessment of party strength. With nearly all SNP MPs being relatively new and from a group of 35 out of 650, we inevitably lose out. What I propose is to overhaul how MPs are selected to speak based on equality. I would end seniority and have members with a long-standing interest in the debate, regardless of party, called early with a ballot system designed to then select the rest of the speakers on an equitable basis. I would also put in place a list of when members would be expected to speak prior to the start of a debate and have this made available to the House. I want to address the many nonsensical ways in which the House conducts itself during debates. I remember the response when SNP MPs were rebuked simply for clapping. Legislators around the world seem to manage perfectly well by allowing this, and in the absence of clapping, strange and exotic sounds have emerged in the Commons. We must also address how we refer to each other. I know that many would take issue with the prefix of honourable to the gentleman, lady or friend that we currently use. We all have names and if they are good enough for us in all other day-to-day -day discourse, they should be good enough for the Chamber of the House of Commons. There is also the absurd notion that the Speaker should dictate how MPs dress in the Chamber. As Speaker, I would end these pointless conventions. I would also want to democratise the management of the Commons by creating an executive of the House to include staff members and the wider parliamentary community. I have also suggested extending proxy voting to those with illness or caring responsibilities and I have proposed taking the debates we have in Westminster Hall around the UK. Lastly, I would seek to address our historic commitment to reform the House of Lords because it is an undemocratic anachronism, unreflective of our communities. I would lead a cross-party convention of Parliament involving the devolved legislators to progress our democracy and make both the House of Parliament more accountable and representative. 
Is my program likely to secure widespread parliamentary support? Is my tongue firmly in cheek as I propose this almost revolutionary agenda? I will leave that for you to decide. Scotland will be leaving Westminster soon, so I will be in a hurry to conclude this agenda. I would like to maybe think that this could be our parting gift from us to them. This article is by Pete Wishart. That's the end of part one. After the break, we'll be back with more great articles from The National. If you are blind or partially sighted, or know somebody who is, they may be eligible to receive a BWBF Sonata Plus internet radio, where our daily podcasts are available. To qualify for a free permanent loan from BWBF, you need to be resident in the UK, registered blind or partially sighted, over the age of eight, and in receipt of a means-tested benefit, or have a parent or guardian in receipt if you are under 18. If you think you qualify, you can find your local agent at www.blind.org.uk and remember, when setting up the player, ask for the Cune Review channels. Now, back to the main programme. Remember, this weekly digest programme is just a selection of what we produce. You can access more daily content online for free at qnreview.com forward slash free podcasts for free daily podcasts of the Herald Scotland and Evening Times and weekly digests of the National and Inside Soap magazine. Alternatively, you can access all of these services via a BWBF Sonata Plus internet radio player. Now, back to the main programme. Visually impaired people are being invited to see if they are eligible for a free, specially adapted radio from a charity. The British Wireless for the Blind Fund, BWBF, provides the equipment to those with sight loss around the UK who meet its criteria. Radio is a lifeline to those who are blind and partially sighted, providing companionship and helping them to keep in touch with what's going on in the world, as well as in the local community. BWBF offers equipment free of charge to those who have sight loss and are in receipt of a means-tested benefit. BWBF is launching its Reaching Out campaign to try and increase awareness about their equipment and help more people who are blind and partially sighted. Our regional development manager, Sophie Weldon, said, Our radios are designed so that a person with sight loss can use them easily and independently. All equipment is delivered to the home by a volunteer who sets it all up and provides support in using it. We offer a range of equipment, digital radios, CD players, memory stick players, internet radio and even a specially designed app. Our radios are vital to someone who cannot see. They provide news, information and entertainment, but also, more importantly, companionship and a friendly service. If you or someone you know is interested in a BWBF radio, please contact Sophie Weldon at sophie at blind.org.uk That is S-O-P-H-I-E at B-L-I-N-D dot org dot UK or phone 01283 790 that's 01283 or on 07540-724-063. find out more about the British Wireless for the Blind Fund, follow us on Twitter at British Wireless, like us on Facebook, or go to blind.org.uk. Now, back to the main programme. Q and Review Print Speaking to the Blind are a charity based in Bishop Briggs. 
We're currently looking to recruit volunteer access to audio ambassadors in Eastern Bartonshire to place leaflets and business cards at businesses, shops and amenities in the area and to show the public how to listen to daily and weekly online articles from the Herald Scotland, Evening Times, The National and Inside Soap magazine for free. If you would like to volunteer and become an access to audio ambassador, please contact Michael Rankin on 0141 772 3976 or email aaatl at qandreview.com. That's aaatl at qandreview.com. In addition, we are also recruiting for volunteer readers and technicians. If you're interested in reading or technically supporting a recording team, please contact us on 0141-772-3976 or email information at qandreview.com. Details of all of our volunteering opportunities are available on our website at qandreview.com. Thank you. Now, back to the main programme. Welcome back. The headlines in part two. The National. On Saturday, May the 4th, 2019. Come fly with me. Why the climate crisis shouldn't put an end to aviation. The desire to make giant steps across the earth should never just be the preserve of the plutocrats by Pat Kane. So the Scottish Government won't be cutting the air passenger tax this year and the First Minister has declared a, quote, climate emergency. Both of these, no doubt, are in response to this week's official UK committee report on climate change, among a number of other privations It states simply, we have to fly a lot less. There are no super efficient technical fixes on the horizon. Biofuels for your aeroplane would demand huge agricultural land masses, areas that should be being reforested anyway. Electric planes? The battery technology is so poor and inefficient at the moment, you'd barely get a crate off the ground. So for the foreseeable future, planes will be the unmitigated CAD of carbon pollution. Air travel produces 2% of the planet's carbon dioxide emissions, but it produces 285 grams per passenger kilometre, with road transportation following at 158 and rail travel at 14 grams. And from current trends, air traffic is expected to double in the next 10 to 20 years. Flying has an equal target on its back. Yet, I think many of my equal comrades underestimate how integral to many people's modern identity flying is, or even the possibility of doing so. We need to expose the desires and longings that it articulates, and try to connect them to a new home. Some of them think this all can be waved away as a class issue. The Scottish Greens report, Air Departure Tax, who benefits, criticised the profit criticised the proposed ScotGov cuts, suggesting an alternative. Frequent flyer levy. This rests on stats like 70% of flights are taken by 15% of all people and some 5% report flying at least four times per month. These hypermobile individuals are predominantly in the richest 10% of Scottish households and stand to gain over 40 times as much from the tax cut as regular travellers. 
commuting by plane is overwhelmingly the preserve of the wealthiest travellers. I wouldn't doubt these figures, nor do I deny that an escalating levy on frequent flyers could be properly redistributive. But does that really capture the full and subtle sociology here? What about the shifts, culture and adenunal that cheap flying has enabled in recent years? I'm old enough to remember when flying was an exceptional, indeed elite, event. In my early days of pop music success, it was hilarious to tumble into the 7am British Midlands shuttle, noisily scandalising the florid rows of branch managers arrayed before us. Buy me a drink and I'll also tell you about our Concord trip to New York to conduct that oh-so-vital remix. About as necessary as a gold leaf on your chalk ice, but a ridiculously memorable experience. Cramped luxury, terrifying take-off speed and celebrity rubbernecking. But I doubt it was that much more memorable than when our Logan Air crate swooped over the Lambent beaches on Barra in our 1990s holiday, touching down on the long sands lapped by not-that-distant waves. That's what shoulder pad success got you. The Icarus dream realised at any level you wanted but that's what millions of individuals, couples and families have access to in the cheap flights era. Particularly across the European flight zone, ambitious souls of all shapes and sizes, from artistic to political, from recreational to romantic, never mind just the business class, have found themselves stepping off a plane in some promising part of the continent and wondering what will happen to them next. I'm in the midst of a documentary project, a labour of love, about a great Scottish intellectual, made with complete creative freedom, but it simply couldn't be enabled without budget flights, and for that matter, Airbnb bargains, that help us skip efficiently here and there across Europe. We're hardly the wealthiest travellers, unless that also means busking freelancers. This project, and quite a few others I'm involved in, one concerning links between progressive forces in Denmark and the UK, simply couldn't happen, wouldn't even be conceivable without the often eye-popping cheapness of Ryanair or EasyJet flight. I can hear a thunderous tough. I can hear a thunderous tough coming from the climate activists. We are facing a drastic 10-year deadline, at the end of which we must have net zero carbon targets in place across our social and economic systems, so unpleasant and subtle projects may have to be dropped back to their desktop folders. In the UK, which is also, per capita, the country which flies the most in the world, the airline industry has been getting away with climate murder. The young climate icon, Greta Thunberg, arraigned the UK last week for very creative carbon accounting. While they claim they have reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 40% since 1990, British governments have not included the emissions from global flights or shipping. The UN's regulatory system for airlines, named Corsia, and designed to help compel companies to carbon offset or spend money on carbon-reducing projects like reforesting, is generally regarded as weak. Its monitoring powers are opaque. Its executive is too stuffed with industry and national interests, 
would a proper accounting of the externalities of flying mean, as the Green MP Caroline Lucas argues, that our expectation of cheap flights can't go on much longer. Sounds like it. So, swallowing hard on one's climate medicine, what is to be done? To some extent, the solutions to the problem I'm raising. That is, how can we maintain the spirit and creativity of cross-border projects at all levels, for citizens as well as business people, are being already hacked into place? My colleagues and I have taken part in our video conferences, most often people using the platform Zoom, which can involve scores, sometimes hundreds of people online. We can convene, break out and deliberate, if cleverly managed. The carbon footprint isn't evaporated. All these digital services have their own energy demands, but it's a tiny percentage of the tens, sometimes hundreds of miles that would have otherwise been travelled. A fine solution for the creative classes. What of the working family, dreaming of their sun-drenched respite from the daily grind? What resentments will be raised in already disgruntled hearts when lofty environment experts price escapism out the hands of many? Not easy to answer. Here's a starry-eyed proposal. I wonder whether the dream of finding yourself stepping off the plane, ready to experience a different zone of the human condition, can somehow be socialised or collectivised. We could set up, in the early days of a better nation, a world citizen lottery, using sortition or random selective, we would all get our chance to have that transformational trip across the world. But the flight opportunities would be spread out across an adult life and calculated to stay within our carbon budget. How many flights? An article The Conversation calculates that in the next 30 years, each of the world's 7 billion inhabitants can spend 3 tonnes on carbon per year. That's if we stay below 800 billion tonnes in total, beyond which we may tip the climate into catastrophe. 3 tonnes equals 2 transatlantic round trips. Economy class. There's your golden tickets, and there's how much they really cost. Come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. My old dad used to croon, mid-1960s, to his child in arms. Blythe, carefree, modernity. Sailing away on the silver wings. We are counting the cost of all that heedless. The National. On Saturday, the 4th of May, 2019. Service sends terrible message to world. CND. Nuclear Anniversary Event says UK celebrates weapons that can kill millions by Jane Cassidy. Protesters shouted, shame on you, at the Duke of Cambridge as he entered Westminster Abbey for a service to mark 50 years of the UK's nuclear deterrent. Protesters staged a, quote, die in outside the Abbey during a service they said was a bizarre celebration of the 50th anniversary of Britain's continuous nuclear deterrent. The service was organised under Gavin Williamson, who was sacked as Defence Secretary on Wednesday and attended by his successor, Penny Mordaunt. It was officially billed as recognising sailors' sacrifice and supporting the Trident missile system and its predecessor, Polaris, both based on the Clyde at Flaslane. Activists from the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament who were across the road from the Abbey as William's car pulled up, booed and chanted, condemning the Duke's attendance. Omar Ahmed, 29, from Lancashire, said, William came here to represent the celebration of British nuclear systems.
I think it's quite disgraceful that most senior in society don't realise the damage of what nuclear weapons can do. I'm quite perplexed. I know he feels an association to the military, but I'm surprised that it would come and support something that could destroy our planet. The group, along with their placards and banners, which read, Blessed be the bomb makers and Abolish War, also staged a Die In, where people lay on the ground pretending to be dead to commemorate the victims of nuclear war. The protesters chanted, Down with Trident and Down with War. CND's General Secretary, Kate Hudson, who was at the process, said, I think it's absolutely inappropriate that thanks should be given for nuclear weapons and we're not alone on this. She added, The die-in will be symbolic of those people who have been killed in the nuclear war and a sign of what would happen in the event of a nuclear war. This sends out a terrible message to the world about our country. It says that here in Britain we celebrate weapons in a place of worship that can kill millions of people. At the same time, a counter-service was held by a Christian branch of the group. The Reverend Matthew Harbage from St Mark's Church in Regent's Park, Central London, said, We are here because the Abbey is holding a service to celebrate the nuclear deterrence. We believe this is wrong based on our theological principle. My reaction to this service was one of surprise and deep disappointment. I'm keen to understand why this particular Abbey has decided to host this service and I want to bring people on the side to recognise the contradiction between Jesus Christ, who gave his life for others, and nuclear weapons, which can only be used for killing. Mordaunt told the service, We pay tribute to those incredible crews, their supportive families, the Royal Navy, and the thousands of industry experts who will continue to sustain this truly national endeavour for many years to come. The Dean of Westminster, John Hall, told the congregation of the repeated calls he had received, including messages on Thursday, for the service to be abandoned. He added, I have been asked repeatedly whether this service was meant to be a celebration of nuclear weapons or an act of thanksgiving. We can't celebrate weapons of mass destruction, but we do owe a debt of gratitude and sincere thanks to all those countless men and women, some represented here today, who in the past 50 years have maintained a deterrent, and indeed to their families who have stood by them. Those countless men and women played their part, a vital part, in maintaining peace. The Duke of Cambridge, as Commodore-in-Chief of the Submarine Service, gave a reading during the service. The National, on Saturday, May the 4th, 2019. Downing Street secretly polling Scots voters on independence. Exclusive by Andrew Lernmonth. Downing Street has been caught out asking Scottish voters how they feel about the prospect of independence. The SNP's Tommy Shepherd said it was proof the Tories were, quote, rattled by the rising support for the resurgent Yes movement. Last month, the UK government's Cabinet Office instructed Ipsos Mori to find out, quote, about the general public's perception of the State of the Union. They contacted one of our readers, who found it suspicious. That reader then contacted the pollster to ask if it was legit, and Ipsos Mori confirmed that it was. Shepherd questioned why the government was spending taxpayers' cash on something that clearly was political. 
Downing Street are clearly rattled, he said. Fundamentally, though, it's entirely unacceptable for public money to be used for political purposes like this. The Tory party should be paying the bill. However, it says everything about how out of touch the Prime Minister is that she needs a pollster to tell her what the people of Scotland are thinking. And she and her government are clearly in a state of panic about rising support for independence. Only independence will mean the Scottish Parliament gains the powers needed to make Scotland the fairer and more prosperous country we know it can be. A Cabinet Office spokesman defended the polling. The UK government regularly contracts research carried out in different parts of the UK to understand public perceptions towards a government policy, he said. Last weekend, a YouGov poll in the Times put support for Scottish independence at its highest point in four years. Professor John Curtis told the paper, These patterns represent a clear warning to the unionist camp that the pursuit of Brexit might yet produce a majority for independence. That poll followed Nicola Sturgeon's Hollywood call for a second referendum on Scottish independence to be held by 2021. Last month, the First Minister told MSPs, if we are to safeguard Scotland's interests, we cannot wait indefinitely. That is why I consider that a choice between Brexit and a future for Scotland as an independent European nation should be offered in the lifetime of this Parliament. I can confirm that the Scottish Government will act to ensure that the opinion of giving people a choice on independence later in this term of Parliament has progressed. Yesterday, in her speech to the Scottish Tory Party Conference in Aberdeen, Theresa May told Sturgeon to respect the result of the 2014 referendum. By Andrew Lernmonth The National on Saturday, May the 4th, 2019. Tories tell me, we don't want you. PM doesn't even mention results during Scottish speech. By Andrew Lernmonth. Tory party members refused to let Theresa May ignore the disastrous local election results in England yesterday. Why don't you resign? shouted one of the furious activists as the Prime Minister tried to address the Welsh Party Conference. The heckler, later identified as Stuart Davies, a former Tory councillor and press officer for Boris Johnson, shouted, We don't want you here. As he was escorted from the room, May told the crowd, It's great to be back in North Wales again. I have to say that my experience of North Wales is that everybody I meet here is friendly. In many ways, Davies' intervention was one of the politest the Prime Minister faced. With results showing that the party had lost more than a thousand councillors, Tories in Scotland were in despair, with much of the blame being laid to the feet of the leader. Tory MP Crispin Blunt said, I've been trying to get her out openly since December. Lots of people are trying to get the message over. His Westminster colleague, Bernard Jenkin, said voters could see May was not in control of events. Certainly, among Conservative activists and council candidates, there is an almost universal feeling that it is time for her to move on. He added, If the Conservative Party doesn't mend its way pretty quickly, the Conservative Party is going to be toast. Former Cabinet Minister, 
Priti Patel, told the BBC that May was part of the problem. I just don't think we can continue like this. We need change, she added. Tory party chairman Brandon Lewis tried to defend the bad result. He told Sky News that the reason the party had done so poorly was because they had done too well at the elections four years ago. I have said for a while, these are going to be tough elections for us. The reality is, we were fighting these elections from a real high water mark for us off the back of the 2015 general election. People are frustrated with where they see the parliamentarians are and the fact that we have found this impasse in Parliament. It's a stark reminder to everybody in the House of Commons that we need to get past that impasse, deliver on what people voted for and focus on that as parliamentarians as well. Home Secretary Sajid Javid used his speech at the Tory party conference in Aberdeen to warn Scottish delegates that it was all about to get much worse. Of course, we knew it would be a tough time in the cycle. We knew there was frustration about our national politics, he said. I heard plenty of it knocking on doors in Wakefield yesterday. And there's no denying the European elections in a few weeks will be even more challenging in every part of the UK. We told the public we would be out of the EU by March 29. Brits don't exactly cry for extra elections at the best of times. When May addressed the Scottish conference, she didn't even mention the poor results in Scotland. Instead, the Prime Minister's speech focused mostly on independence and Nicola Sturgeon's renewed push for a second referendum. May said the people of Scotland spoke clearly in 2014, but the SNP did not like the answer. For National, 2nd of May 2019, Letters. Davidson's Section 30 stance has changed completely. I find this curious, as on July 16, a lady also called Ruth Davidson commented that it would not be wise for the next Prime Minister to be blocked a request by Nicola Sturgeon for a second independence referendum. At the time, she noted that questions over trade and markets currency and borders were utterly different following the UK's decision to leave the EU. In fact, sources close to Scottish Tory leader argued that denying a second independence referendum would provoke a massive public backlash in Scotland that could further drive up support for independence. With public support for independence and another referendum rising, one would argue that the response from the Ruth Davidson of 2016 is more credible than that of the Ruth Davidson of today. Written by Alex Orr. The National, Thursday the 9th of May 2019. News. BBC sacked 5 Live DJ Danny Baker following Royal Baby Tweet. By the National News Desk. Broadcaster Danny Baker has been sacked by BBC Radio 5 Live after tweeting a joke about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's son using a picture of a monkey. Harry and Meghan, whose mother is African-American, revealed yesterday that their new arrival was named Archie Harrison Mountbatten-Windsor. Radio DJ Baker made a joke about the birth, tweeting a black-and-white photo showing a well-dressed man and woman holding hands with a suited chimpanzee. He later posted on Twitter, 
just got fired from BBC Five Live. For the record, it was Red Sauce. Always. Referencing a game on a show. Baker had captioned the image, Royal Baby Leaves Hospital. Following a backlash and allegations of racism, he deleted the post and apologised. After announcing he had been fired, Baker slammed the way it was handled by his radio bosses, saying he had been thrown under the bus. The call to fire me from at BBC Five Live was a masterclass of pompous full gravity, he tweeted. Took a tone that said I actually meant there was a ridiculous tweet and the BBC must uphold blah blah blah, literally threw me under the bus, could hear the Sutanese knocking. And he added, Now it started raining, perfect. Baker had apologised, saying, Sorry my gag pick of the little fella in the posh outfit had whipped some up. Never occurred to me because, well, mine not the cease. Soon as those good enough to point out its possible connotations got in touch, down it came and that's it. The 61-year-old, who presents a weekly show on BBC Radio 5 Live, apologised again on Wednesday evening, saying the joke was intended to poke fun at the royal family. He said, Once again, sincere apologies for the stupid unthinking gag pick earlier. Was supposed to be a joke about royals versus circus animals in posh clothes, but interpreted as about monkeys in race, so rightly deleted. Royal watching, not my forte. Also, guessing it was my turn in the barrel. As BBC spokesman said, this was a serious error of judgement and goes against the values we as a station aim to embody. Danny's a brilliant broadcaster, but will no longer be presenting a weekly show with us. This article is written by The National News Desk. For National, 7th of May 2019, charges dropped against Extinction Rebellion activists' Oil Club Diner protest. The activists held a people assembly at the National Museum of Scotland, where the dinner has been held focusing on environmental damage caused by fossil fuels, and our industries can transition away from it. The group also held a demonstration outside a venue, where it said hundreds gathered to dance, sing and celebrate a future free of fossil fuels. An Extinction Rebellion spokesperson said the non-violent campaigners have been arrested for threatening and abusive behaviour under Section 38 of the Criminal Justice and License in Scotland Act 2010, but now a prosecutor fiscal has marked the cause as no further proceedings. Extinction Rebellion have been holding protests across the world to raise awareness of climate change and encourage governments to take action. The group wants governments to declare a climate emergency, which Nicola Sturgeon recently did at the SNP Spring Conference. The National, 7th of May 2019. Edinburgh Tattoo Performers make landmark visit to China. Performers from Pippa's Trail for Tattoo Dance Company. Delighted audience at the Shanghai Spring International Music Festival at a series of events including the opening and closing ceremonies and a special outdoor performance for the Mayor of Shanghai. They were greeted by local fans who lined the streets to witness the iconic sights and sound of Scotland. The visit is the latest move by tattoo organisers after extensive dialogue with Chinese delegates as they continue to push forward the plans to take the show to China before 2025. For evening time, 7th of May 2019, Brexiteer Tory says party risks political oblivion as Corbyn talks resume. 
The talks between Labour and the Tories resumed today, with both parties committing themselves to finding an agreement to break a Brexit deadlock. There were reports over the weekend that the Prime Minister was set to back down over Labour's demands on the customs union, on goods and on workers' rights. The Sunday Times reported that the Prime Minister's team would offer Labour a comprehensive but temporary customs union, which would offer last until the next general election. They had also offered to align the UK with single market rules on a wider range of goods and to assign in law for UK workers' rights after Brexit will mirror those which currently apply in the EU. If reports are accurate, the deal will spark fury among Tory Brexiteers. Yesterday, leading Brexiteer Steve Baker said the deal would destroy the Tories at the next election, and the next election would happen immediately, he said. How does anyone suppose that I would or could not? In such circumstances, I would not be surprised if we were outpolled by the Brexit party. I would be surprised to see even a majority of my current parliamentary colleagues back on the Greens benches after such an election. He warned that unless the Tory backed a hard Brexit, they would diversely face political oblivion. It's thought at least a hundred of our MPs could vote against a deal. The only way for May to get it passed will be with support of Labour's MPs. But Corbyn faces a struggle convincing his MPs to back the agreement unless he gets a commitment to a second referendum. The People's Vote estimate that around two-thirds of Labour MPs, including several shadow cabinet ministers, would refuse to back a deal without a referendum attached. Yesterday, Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell acknowledged the difficulty, telling a BBC Marshal that to get any deal over the line, you've got to recognise there will be a large number of MPs in Parliament who actually do support public vote. Tom Watson, a party debut leader, told a BBC Radio 5 Live Pioneers Politics that the Labour Party membership and vast numbers of my colleagues in Parliament don't want us to sign off on a Tory Brexit. The SNP, Stephen Jeffens, said it would be unforgivable if a backroom deal negotiated between a government and opposition was not put to the people. People across Scotland and UK are rightly frustrated at the failure of both the Tories and Labour to end the bitter civil wars consuming both parties and to put the national interests first. With Brexit talks between Labour and the Tories resuming this week, it would be unforgivable if any backroom deal bypassed the public through a second EU referendum and assisted simply consigned Scotland to a cliff edge and catastrophic Brexit income. It also emerged that May had carried out scenario planning last week to prepare for a political vote in Parliament on having a second referendum. According to The Telegraph, the Tory leader and her aides discussed giving the electric freeway vote. The National News, recorded on the 10th of May 2019. HMRC bosses admit that they fought 45 MSPs were not in Scotland. From the National News Desk. HMRC bosses failed to identify almost a third of MSPs as being Scottish taxpayers. Jim Hara, the Deputy Chief Executive of HMRC, said 45 of Holyrood's 129 members had been issued with an incorrect code for 2019-20. to He said he was not pleased to learn that a mistake had been made. Hara addressed the issue as he faced MSPs in Holyrood's Public Audit Committee and convener Jenny Mara told him she was one of those affected. Hara said, we identified 45 MSPs where we had sent them an incorrect 19-20 tax code. 
which did not identify them as a Scottish taxpayer. That was because of a clerical error in the tax office that looks after the affairs of Scottish parliamentarians. Pressing him on the issue, Mara said, for such a significant clerical error to happen with such a small group when there is a special process in place, that is the thing that really worries me about the confidence in the wider system. Mara said he shares such concerns, but added he is satisfied the issue would not have applied to the general population. He said there is a special clerical process that applies to parliamentarians, and that is what went wrong. The process for the main bulk of the population is an automated one based on the address. However, he also told the committee HMRC had to correct some 30,000 self-assessment tax returns after people failed to identify themselves as Scottish taxpayers. The error rate is too high, he conceded. A text box was included in the form for people to say if they are a Scottish taxpayer. HMRC had initially based its calculations on what people put on the form, but Harris said we quickly learned the level of error in returns was such that it was actually better to calculate the level of tax based on what we knew from our own database. From the National News Desk. The National, 10th of May 2019. RBS could be set to face raft of equal pay claims. Unite said a female employee of the Royal Bank of Scotland was paid more than £30,000 a year, less in paying benefits than a male counterpart, doing the same job over a period of seven years. She was made redundant in 2017 and was about to take a claim to an employment tribunal when the case was settled, said Unite. Unite's Howard Beckett said Unite will be reviewing the implications of his case and won't hesitate to support further equal pay claims. A spokesman for the bank said in this particular case, although we don't agree that any difference in pay was due to a gender, we don't think we got things right in certain areas and therefore have agreed a settlement with all the matter. A bank has been warned it could face a raft of equal pay claims after a £150,000 payout in long-running case of a woman who complained of being paid less than a man for doing the same job. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The National. This weekly talking newspaper digest was a Q&Review recording service production. The readers were volunteers at Q&Review and the producer was Jordan Duncan. Q&Review Recording Service Limited is a registered Scottish charity number SC018016. Our registered office is at 18 Crowhill Road, Bishop Briggs, Glasgow, G641QY. Remember, you can always get in contact with us by email at information at qandreview.com or by leaving us a message on our answering service at 0141 772 3976.